Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nonsense and Noise Pod, a podcast about the queer person of color experience with pop culture. I am your host, Nathan Cotto, and this week it's just me. I figured that I'm on vacation this week, so I'll put out a shorter episode for folks, and yeah, we'll just jump right into it. I am doing all right. As I said, I'm on vacation. Right now it's midnight on June 2nd on Thursday. And yeah, we're, I'm having a, having a pretty chill week. I've been playing a lot of Valorant with my friend, a uh, friend of the pod, Vesper, who was on to talk about In Young Masters Dreams of Eternity. And I went to the beach on Sunday, so that was pretty nice. I got a little burnt, but it was very relaxing. And let's see, what else have I done this week? I don't know. I've played a lot of Shin Megami Tensei as well, so that has been nice to sort of put more hours into that, just because that game is nice. It's like a, a nice sort of break from sort of the traditional, like, monster capture RPG. It's definitely different from Pokemon in that it is a lot more grindy, so I think I've beat, like, two or three bosses or so, I still feel like I'm very early on in the game. So there's a lot more time that I have to spend with it, but that is totally cool. And then of course, the actually, I mean, this is a, this is a perfect segue into pop culture news. The Pokemon Scarlet and Violet trailers dropped today for the, um, the second trailer. So there was the legendary reveal as well as some regional Pokemon reveals. I was expecting a regional rat but instead we got a pig, we got Lechonk, he's just super cute. I was talking with other friend of the pod, Bryn, about the Pokemon, and they were saying that Lechonk is <laughs> a great addition to the pigs that we have in Pokemon, and that they didn't like where the other pigs went, and so hopefully Lechonk is good, and goes goes in better directions. But then they that I, I told them that Splink did nothing wrong, and it turns out they forgot about Splink. Grumpig, though, Grumpig, and then the rest of the, uh, um, I think, Embor or whatever. Like, the rest of that, the, the rest of the Tepig line leaves a lot to be desired, unfortunately. But, so that's Pokemon. I guess we'll start with, we'll start with video games this time instead of movies and TV shows. So, the Pokemon trailer dropped today. In addition to the Pokemon that were shown, they showed the professors, uh, Turo and Saba. And I, so my favorite take that I've seen so far is that they both look like they're alt-right. And by favorite, I mean, like, it's funny. It's a very funny take. I agree with it. Just, like, the hairstyles from both of them and just, like, especially for Turo, the undercut really just gives, like, huge alt-right vibes. And understandably, people have lost their shit over the professors because they are fairly attractive. They're, the the character designs are good. Turo is a male professor and Sada is the female professor. And Turo looks like he is uh, put through the GigaChad filter on Instagram, so that is kind of funny. But yeah, in my opinion, I'm just like, these two look like they're about to say slur. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, gay Twitter has sort of blown up over Turo. People are just thirsting over him, and I'm just like, y'all, he's just a, a pale man with a beard. Let's, let's calm down a little bit. But that's just my opinion. There's truly nothing wrong with, like, thirsting over that character design because it's 
well done. So, yeah, that, that's Pokemon. And then, actually, it just came out today. Card Shark is by a small indie studio. Uh, it was published for Nintendo Switch. And it is pretty much exactly like it sounds. It's a card game that's on the Switch where you basically have to be card shark and learn the strategies of the card games and try and cheat as much as you can without getting thrown out of the games, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I've seen the trailer. The trailer for Card Shark came out a while ago, but of course I did not do any research prior to making this episode, so that'll just have to do in terms of hopefully piquing people's interests. Uh, So that's Card Shark that came out today, June 2nd, and then coming out June 22nd, later this month is the Capcom Fighting Collection. I'm thinking this is probably very similar to like the Capcom versus Marvel arcade machines that have been in like the malls and stuff forever. So that looks pretty fun. You know, another fighting game. The video game updates are kind of light just because I covered a whole bunch of them with Bryn in the previous episode. So obviously there's Sonic Origins and Fire Emblem 3. Fire Emblem Warriors 3 Hopes is still coming out. I believe is the 23rd for Sonic, and then the 24th of June for Fire Emblem. So those are still happening, obviously. So that's all of the top three coming video games that I'm, I'm, or the top video games that I'm looking forward to. And then in terms of upcoming movies and TV shows, this is going to be first the first time that we're actually featuring like a TV show in this one as well. So Fire Island is a movie coming out on June 3rd featuring Joel Kim Booster, Bowen Yang, Conrad Rigamora, and Margaret Cho. And it is written, it was written by Joel Kim Booster. And it is a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice, but set on Fire Island. Joel Kim Booster and Bon Yang, or Bon Yang, they are both Asian Americans. And so this is a queer Asian American story retelling of Pride and Prejudice. And it seems pretty cool. I know I'm excited about it, but I'm also kind of waiting with bated breath just because, like, Fire Island is kind of a, like, classy slash elite rich white gay destination, and I feel at least, like, the stereotype of it is just, like, you go and, like, you have a lot of sex and you party, and it's just kind of a bastion of white culture, I feel like, so I'm just worried about this movie basically being a story about being white and queer but like oh it just so happens that they're asian but i guess we'll see when the movie comes out that's coming out june 3rd so this coming friday actually and i mean i've seen encouraging reviews so far so i'm still gonna watch it it's coming out it's on hulu it's a digital release only it's not in theaters but that i'm excited for but like i said i am waiting with bated breath just to sort of see how all of that goes. So that is Fire Island, and then there's Miss Marvel, which is a TV show coming out on June 8th, featuring breakout star Iman Vellani uh, as the titular Miss Marvel. This is, I know this is Bryn's favorite, one of Bryn's favorite characters in the Marvel Universe, Miss Marvel, um, or Kamala Khan, who is going to be the first Muslim-American superhero. And I know that there are some changes from the original source material in terms of, like, what Kamala's powers are and, like, the source and everything. I, myself, am not too up-to-date on what the actual comics, like, the actual Marvel comics say and everything, but it looks really cool, so I might be following along with that, but we'll see, because I don't really tend to watch TV in my free time. I 
would rather play video games. <laughs> so that's it for pop culture. I'm going to take a quick break. Like I said, this is going to be a very short, probably a much shorter episode than the other ones, just because I don't have folks to be bouncing ideas and energy off of. And also it's midnight for this record. So yeah, but I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with the main content. And we are back from the break. So this episode, I figured it's late enough now to finally start talking about everything everywhere all at once. So just to sort of like start off with this, everything everywhere all at once, I I heard about the movie at the beginning of the year. I saw, I don't remember where I saw the, the commercial for it. It might have been on Twitter is where I saw an ad initially. So that kind of like took me by surprise and I was really excited to start to, to go see it. And so I did and it came out in New York City on March 30th and I think that was actually more limited release. So what I ended up doing was I went down to Brooklyn to go see everywhere, everything everywhere all at once and it was like an amazing experience. I went to the Alamo, had dinner, and you know, this, the whole shebang. And that's always a really good time. If you have a, an Alamo locally, I highly recommend going as long as you are able to stay safe because, I mean, you are also eating there. And I know when I went, they were checking vaccination and everything. So that was, a, at least for me, that was enough of a risk mitigation. And you had to have had to be double vaccinated and everything. So that was a little bit of peace of mind for me. But yeah, highly recommend the Alamo, uh, especially post-COVID. Not saying that COVID is over now, but later on when it becomes safer to do so, like definitely check out any any movie theater really that does like a food and drink experience with the movie. It makes life so much easier in terms of just like, oh, doing a movie and dinner. So yeah, I did. I, I went to go see it at the Alamo in Brooklyn and the setting is very important because I think I was probably the only person of color in the theater. I didn't really pay too much attention to the rest of the theater, but I do remember the guy sitting next to me was white and I am pretty sure I was like the only person crying in the theater at some points just because like there were lots of points during the movie where the movie itself spoke to me very deeply and and, you know moved me so yeah it was certainly an experience seeing it in Brooklyn and I like I said I, I do think that most people like I I do remember hearing after the movie from a white guy talking to his kid like what are we going to tell mom this movie was about and I'm just like I don't want you guys to like give her a review because you fully missed the point of the movie and I do think that other people of color can probably understand it a little bit more especially if you've got any sort of like immigrant experience because this is this movie is like really at its core about the immigrant experience and and how we can grapple with the experiences of our immigrant parents and how that sort of impacts our own lives. So yeah, it was over. I really, really love the movie. I've been talking with a couple friends about it and they like so far, everyone I've talked to has also really enjoyed the movie. So highly recommend seeing it if you can. But anyway, since I saw it so early in the release cycle, it's fully screwed up my perception of, is it still in theaters or like, or is it not? And also, like, I don't know when the movie actually came out because, like I said, I saw it like the day that it came out in for the limited release in New York City. So it was like I saw. I think I was like maybe not one of the first people to see it, but like I was definitely on the earlier end. I remember I told like a friend like, "Oh, you should go see Everything Everywhere all at once," and she was just like, "It's not out yet." <laughs> so. 
that was that was just kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I I was really excited for the movie. So since it's been long enough since the movie came out, there are going to be spoilers in this episode for Everything Everywhere All at Once. So if you have not watched it, I would recommend not listening to this episode until you have because this is like the the movie is way better if you go into it blind. Okay, so now that you've watched the movie, or if you've already watched the movie and you're still with me, let's get into it. So at its core, right, the actual story that's going on, the actual narrative that's going on in everything, everywhere, all at once, just sort of like base narrative is like this woman, Evelyn, is getting ready for a tax audit alongside her husband, Waymond, and her daughter, Joy, and also her father is coming from China to visit, and I think it is his birthday, and so it's it's just juggling, it, really the movie takes place over the course of like two days, or two to three days, where Evelyn is getting ready to go to the tax office to go do her taxes with Jamie Lee Curtis, whose character name I forget, and then also simultaneously getting ready for her father's birthday party. So that's her story. And Waymond is an interesting character. There's, I, I think I'm going to have a whole episode on him because his, he's got a really cool um, theme and everything that is associated with his character, but his sort of arc is like at least the the Waymond from the original, like from the universe where everything is currently, where, where the movie takes place. His narrative arc is like, he is trying to help Evelyn, but also like, I guess he has given her divorce papers because at, at first, like the relationship doesn't really seem like it's working. And then Joy is trying to really get her mom to see her and really just like know her so joy is queer which is is amazing representation in this movie to see like a queer asian american where the character like not everything about joy is about her being queer so joy's girlfriend whose name i also forget shows up and is a very tangential character in the story but yeah so joy is just kind of like there and trying to exist and uh, basically just like get her mom to acknowledge like what she's going through so like on a very base level that's kind of the story it's not really too expansive or like even really that difficult if you're watching purely just for like that story it's a very bland movie there's not i mean obviously there's the whole brush with the the multiverse and everything so that's that is sort of the main meat of the movie. Um, I did not watch Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, so I do not know how this movie compares in, in the multiverse handling compared to the MCU, but I have read reviews that people thought this multiverse was more imaginative and everything, which, small, small soapbox here, but like, I think it was Scorsese said something about like, something critical about Marvel and people got like really up in arms about it but basically like if you really think about where things are in terms of just like movies and everything there's not really too many or at least you know 
I'm, I'm paying attention mostly to movies that are featuring people of color, but even then, like, there aren't a ton of them that are coming out other than, like, Marvel pieces, and, like, the f I know when I went to go see Dune, I saw, like, three superhero trailers back to back to back. I think I saw it was Batman, and then Spider-Man No Way Home, or, yeah, Spider-Man Spider -Man No Way Home, and then also a, a trailer for... Eternals, because at that point, Eternals hadn't released yet, so, yeah, I, it's just, like, overall, like, just remember that Marvel's not, like, the only type of movie to go be seen, especially since, like, a lot of the Marvel material is, like, has such a high barrier to entry, like, you have to know everything else that's going on in the universe, unless you, like, watch Shang-Chi, and then it's, like, okay, well, I can leap right in here, and I don't have to know everything else that's happening, because right now Shang-Chi is, like, its own contained universe, but, yeah, I, that, that's my Marvel soapbox, so anyways, this movie does go into the, the multiverse, and, and that's actually a really important piece for why, um, the multiverse is a, an important, piece of how the movie gets its message across. So overall, there, uh, there are a few things that I'll be talking about during this episode. So there's the first of all is like, why is the multiverse important? And why is it being used? The role of combat in the movie? And then, you know, in case you happen to be listening still, and you haven't watched the movie, a uh, huge spoiler here, but why is Joy, the daughter of uh, Evelyn's daughter, the antagonist of the movie, and then finally the role of absurdism and also nihilism in the movie, as well, and then of course the the final message, the overall message of the movie. Okay, so without further ado, let's get started. So in terms of the multiverse being important, the main thing that is hammered home here is that the multiverse represents a lot of basically like the infinite possibilities that moving to America or immigrating to America holds. So Evelyn was Eve, the character of Evelyn. Um, she was born in China. She met her childhood sweetheart there, Waymond, and then they moved to the States together and then they run a laundromat and that's sort of their life. And their laundromat is not exactly successful and it looks like Evelyn is kind of doing some tax fraud maybe, but basically just like claiming things as business expenses that aren't necessarily related like I, the only one that i remember is like oh you claimed a karaoke machine as a business expense and you're a laundromat like what's going on there that's sort of the the whole symbolism of the the multiverse it's just like representing all the infinite possibilities and and, and stuff that seems to present itself as an immigrant to america and one line that sort of stuck out to me the most from the movie was so Waymond from another multiverse, which they call the Alphaverse, because this is the universe that first learned about like multiverse jumping technology, which is which plays a major role in the film. So Alpha Waymond basically says like tells Evelyn from like that current timeline that like you are the best chance to take out the antagonist who is Joy or Jobu Topaki, that's the villain's name, uh, he says, you're the best chance of taking out Jobu Topaki because you are sort of like the worst version of yourself. Like you don't have like any amazing successes. Like you represent, like you still have all this raw potential. So it's very easy for you to tap into any of your other multiverse selves and sort of like absorb their talents and skills and so sorry stepping back a little bit so in terms of the multiverse and everything how the characters engage with it is called verse jumping where 
they have to do something really weird and something like very improbable so for example one of them is like Waymond has to give himself paper cuts in between uh, like on the webbing of his fingers so it's the the skin between your fingers um another one is like Evelyn has to sit in a chair with her flip-flops or or with her shoes on the wrong feet the most iconic one is this one guy has to sit on a butt plug or uh have a dildo in his ass so it's a it's a pretty goofy goofy thing but yeah that's it's sort of like how they do the verse jumping and everything but when they do verse jump they're able to whether it be Evelyn or Waymond or like literally any other character in the movie when they verse jump they're able to actually take on like the abilities and the talents and like the knowledge of the person that they verse jumped to so for example a couple notable verse jumps that Evelyn does are to an alternate uh, an a uh, alternate universe or AU version of herself where she is an actress there's another one where she's a famous like picking opera singer there's another version where she's got hot dogs as fingers um, that's more of a jokey one and then there's another one where she I don't remember actually I think the I mentioned the picking opera one and that one in that one she's blind there's another one where she's like a famous kung fu artist but like she uses is her pinkies as like her main like like force so it's very interesting in terms of just like it's really cool too in terms of how the characters interact with the multiverse and everything but yeah as you could as you probably could tell absurdism is used to build the multiverse and everything because like especially with like the universe of hot dog fingers and shit like it's very goofy and especially like their introduction of like how that happened is it's very funny so but overall the multiverse represents the infinite possibilities presented by immigrating to america and and just like all of the possibilities of like things that could happen and successes and triumphs and stuff and or failures like the whole driving force as to like why joy evelyn's daughter is the antagonist is because in the alpha universe evelyn pushes her daughter joy to become the best verse jumper and in doing so actually like breaks her mind because the caveat with verse jumping is if you do it too much you basically expand your mind or expose your mind to all of the different possibilities of things that could happen and that causes a lot of mental strain and then you're not able to sort of keep doing it so alpha evelyn did this to alpha joy and sort of drove her insane and so now alpha joy sees all possibilities and is able to interact with every single universe all at once and is very nihilistic but like i said we'll get into the more of the absurdism and the nihilism later so yeah that is the importance of the multiverse the next thing that i'm going to talk about sort of separately is the role of combat in the movie so Alpha Waymond is the sort of first introduction to combat in the movie, where when Alpha Waymond jumps, verse jumps to normal Waymond, he is definitely a fighter. There's like a scene where he like fights off the security in the IRS building, which is pretty funny, because Jamie Lee Curtis's character, like they get in a fight or something, Evelyn punches her and, and it's normal Jamie Lee Curtis, because... So all of the characters that show up in the movie are able to, are like, they have alphaverse versions of themselves and they're able to jump into the main 
universe, and some of them serve the the antagonist, Jobu Javaki, or Joy, and they are all searching to, basically, Jobu Tabaki's motivation is to kill all versions of Evelyn because of this, you know, resentment against her mother for basically, like, shattering her mind. So in one scene, Deirdre, who is the name of Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Deirdre, uh, also Evelyn, first jumps and is still in the IRS office, but then, like, she gets discovered by verse jumping Deirdre, who then tries to, uh, or who then kills that version of Evelyn, and then uh, so obviously Evelyn sees that and is just like freaking out, and then when she when normal Deirdre comes back, Evelyn punches her in the face, and then that sort of like starts this whole cycle of like okay, well there's a lot of fighting going on, and for a lot of the movie, Waymond or not a lot of the movie, but like for the first third of the movie, Waymond Alpha Waymond is the sort of like defense so he will like do all the fighting and stuff and then later like I said one of Evelyn's verse jumps is to her being like a kung fu master so like she also gains the ability to fight later and then she also gains the ability to eventually like look into all the different universes at once because she tries to um or she actually engages with Jobu Tabaki and like tries to understand where her daughter's coming from so then she gains the same ability as Jobu Tabaki and is able to like tap all of her different selves at once so there is a lot of like martial arts stuff going on and I know that that was actually probably like the major initial selling point of this like being a, a sci-fi martial arts movie which is kind of one way to put it but yeah that was sort of like the main draw it's definitely like very flashy choreography and stuff but yeah obviously like combat aside from advancing the plot and everything also serves like another role in this movie and this is I think very much epitomized by Wayman gives us it gives a like very passionate speech to Evelyn says like hey I know that you've learned growing up that you have to be a fighter and that you have to fight for what you want and like I said we'll talk more about Wayman later on another episode but like that is like his sort of concession to Evelyn is that like she's had to struggle her entire life for everything that she's wanted and I think that is sort of the main reason why combat was used to show like not necessarily Evelyn's motivations, but, like, her personality in terms of just, like, I have to fight for what I want, and and really, like, it does make sense, especially for the United States, because the U.S. is not kind to immigrants at all. The system to enter the U.S. legally is incredibly convoluted and time-consuming, and... Like, so that's that, that's a huge reason why there are lots of folks who enter the country illegally and, and try to gain citizenship, because the process itself, like, is very convoluted and it takes a ton of time and ton of money. And, like, I think I've, I've heard stories or read stories about people trying to become citizens through the normal legal, like, means, and that can take up to, like, 10 years or whatever. So it's, it's a huge process. And that's just to become a citizen. And then, of course, even if you're an immigrant in this country, citizen or no, you have to fight to exist in this country that actively devalues, like, your existence as a person of color, your education, your words, how you sound, and, like, your, basically just, like, your life as a whole, unless you're a white immigrant, you know, immigrant from Europe or whatever. But, yeah, it's just, it's 
tough to be an immigrant in the United States. So I do think that that was also the the reason why there was so much combat involved is just because like, especially for just to tie to the thing that I mentioned before about a country that actively devalues your education. So the importance of the laundromat is for Chinese Americans, when they immigrated to this country, like the first Chinese Americans immigrating to the United States, there weren't too many options for them to to take in terms of employment. There's a lot of like servant work and what you would think of right now as unskilled labor. And one of the ways that Chinese folks could maintain their financial independence was to either run a restaurant, and that's the birth of American Chinese food, or to run a laundromat where they can be independently working and, you know, still serving white people, but they get to do it on their own terms. And also kind of quick aside, this is what gave rise to the term French laundry, which is where, which is racist. So the French laundries are racist because they were saying like, you know, oh, this laundromat does not involve any Asians, like it's just French people doing it. So yeah, if you hear the term French laundry, like that has a racist history. So that's the importance of the laundromat. And like a lot of immigrants to this country are very intelligent. Like I do remember at one of my old jobs, uh, or not one of my old jobs, at my old job, there was a, a janitor who was, you know, was contracted to work through a temp agency at the company, at, at my job as a janitor. But in talking to some of my coworkers, I found out that this guy was like incredibly smart. He like has a lot of like project management skills, but since he doesn't have a good grasp on English, he can't exercise that. And, you know, he's, he's going to school to learn, or not going to school, but he's like taking classes to learn English. But until then he can't fully like do what he wanted to do when he came to the states and i think that's a that's a very similar thing when it comes to people either like respecting or devaluing the background that immigrants come with and that of course is shown as well in terms of what professional licenses are respected in this country so if you go to medical school outside of the u.s like unless it's canada i think you generally can't practice medicine like you have to go to a united like a a med school in the u.s to be able to practice medicine in the united states and that's very you know elitist and has there there are lots of problems with that especially because like i'm sure there are top medical universities worldwide but the fact that it's only you can only practice medicine if you have a u.s granted medical degree that's uh pretty fucked up so yeah there's there's for immigrants it's it's a kind of a constant uphill battle so it does really make sense that combat plays such a huge role in this movie so like i said there's a lot of fighting and all of that is against joy or ed who's evelyn's daughter also known as joe butabaki that is the sort of villain name for her and i think it's very interesting because i feel like a lot of the recent movies that are dealing with family relationships and, and trauma and everything, it's it's all, it's all mostly told from the point of view of the children, maybe aside from Minari, which I still have to see, but I'm just thinking of like, even going, mostly Disney films, right? This is, I'm going all the way back to like Frozen 2, that's Elsa and Anna, so it's the, the daughters 
of of a mixed marriage i wouldn't say interracial marriage because they're both white but like two culturally distinct people and then same thing with encanto and turning red they're very much focused on like the younger protagonist so like mirabel in encanto and then may and turning red where it's like i'm dealing with the effects of like my parents being uh, my parents raising me and and how that affects me whereas this story is mostly focusing on evelyn who is the immigrant and her interactions with her daughter who is the chinese american person so i obviously like think that this i mean obviously very deliberate and i think it's a, a very interesting perspective because i think joy represents the sort of hopes and and dreams that are pinned on the children of immigrants and especially like as an asian american immigrant like i can relate pretty heavily in that like joy is expected to more or less subsume her own desires to sort of go along with what her parents want and this is shown very frequently in the movie where evelyn talks over joy like especially the first part evelyn talks over joy she does not listen to anything that she says evelyn has her own sort of business that's going on and so she's trying to manage about like 12 different things at once and joy comes in with like a simple conversation and like you can see the complete mismatch between the two throughout the entire like that entire scene that is why joy is the antagonist because like they're in in pinning all your hopes and dreams on your children obviously like that's not healthy it's going to cause a lot of friction between you and your children because you know children are independent they're their own independent beings sometimes what they might want will match up with what you want like i know one of my friends or you know a few of my friends are the children of immigrants and they're either doctors or have or are going to medical school and so that matches up with what their immigrant parents want i myself am an engineer by education and that is sort of lining up with what my parents want and though i think my mom would very much love me to go to get like a another degree whether it be like a phd or like a professional degree or something but once again that is her pinning her hopes and dreams on me and maybe not seeing me as my own independent person and like what i want like i mean I, she's not pushing me to do it but like that's sort of you know that example and this is very obviously shown in the movie by evelyn pushing joy to into becoming Jobu Tapaki by breaking her mind by saying you are going to be the best verse jumper there ever was and so as a result joy seeing experiencing too many different realities and and basically gaining the ability to see everything to see across the entire multiverse so yeah it's a i think it's a, a very like eloquent sort of incorporation of yeah this is what it feels like to be the child of an immigrant to be pushed to your limits and 
and you know obviously we don't have the same experience of like our minds breaking because of seeing every single possible moment or every single possibility but yeah it certainly doesn't feel great and it's interesting to consider this from a parent's point of view because like you know like i said before we hear about it all from the kids point of view of like you know my parents are doing making me do this my parents are making me do that and i don't want to but you know we don't take enough time to consider okay well what is what's the parents point of view how is that matching up so yeah, it was like very interesting to think of of Joy as as the antagonist. And then in addition to all of like the resentment and like the jealousy even or the envy of of having getting to live a life, you know, envy from from the immigrant parent to for their child being able to live a life that is like better than theirs or like you know more fruitful or like has more possibilities there is a huge cultural disconnect and i think that is shown very well between evelyn and joy joy is chinese american evelyn is a chinese immigrant so one of like joy is obviously fluent in english and she speaks with no accent evelyn speaks with an accent evelyn also speaks fluently in chinese joy does not joy's chinese is very broken and like very like the pronunciation was okay but yeah it's like she doesn't have a ton of like command of the of the language so yeah like it it's a great illustration of how different they are because evelyn is occupying the world of being chinese in america whereas joy is inhabiting not only being Chinese, but also being an American, and then also being that third sort of world of Chinese American, and how that's its own individual identity. And you see that a little bit when Joy has to explain to her girlfriend, oh, this is how my mom works, and this is like how she shows love and stuff. So I think that is actually like a really cool another really cool point for joy where it shows that she's sort of able to act as an intermediary between between the worlds and obviously that is shown quite literally in that she's able to see all the possibilities and like draw from literally any possibility in the universe so yeah it's like like i said this is like this movie is so well crafted and i think for some people maybe they're able to get it but like Hopefully this can be a nice little guide to help you maybe put stuff together in retrospect and say like, oh, and like help you get a better appreciation for the movie. So that is all I have on joy. And then for the final topic, absurdism and nihilism. So these are (laughs) pretty heavy topics. And then just just in case you don't know what these terms mean, or maybe you've heard about them before and you maybe, you know, don't remember. So absurdism is all basically like, I think really the tone for this movie there's so many just weird goofy things that happened lots of like non sequiturs not lots of just like really just overall goofiness like the biggest absurdist moment in this movie is there's a scene where joy and evelyn are talking to each other but instead of them being humans they are rocks with googly eyes on them because it represents the like one possibility of an earth where life did not happen so yeah like that that's an example of like absurd the absurdity as i mentioned before absurdism is used to build the multiverse so when when people first jump they have to do kind of goofy things like i said the goofiest one was 
someone had to sit down, like jump and land on a butt plug or use a dildo and presumably these characters are straight and so that's something that they would never do so just like really wacky goofy things like that there's also another scene where like somebody's head bursts into a, a cloud of confetti also absurdism but yeah like overall it's used to build the multiverse but also in addition to building the multiverse and everything it's used a lot to draw an engagement from audiences who aren't necessarily staying with the movie and i think this is probably the thing that gets people very confused if you don't know what to look for in the movie and you don't know what to understand from the movie because it really it, the movie is very chaotic because of all the absurdism and because of all just the goofiness that's going on it can be hard to track what's going on in the story because like you have this main storyline that's weaving its way through the central universe, but then you also have all these tangents with all the different other multiverses that are involved. And so totally understand. It's very hard to, to keep people engaged and keep everybody on track. But if you throw in all sorts of just like random shit, it's very easy to just kind of like get the audience laughing. And so like there are lots of laughs and everything from the theater when I was watching and that came from a lot of the absurdist scenes so like for example landing on a butt plug pretty funny like <laughs> objectively very funny the scene with the rocks is also very funny because it's not even like the the rocks themselves aren't talking it's just text it's literally stop motion animation of rocks sitting like over the grand canyon they have googly's on googly eyes on and it's just like text going on the screen like it is like truly the goofiest scene i have seen in a movie in a long time but yeah it's a way to draw the audience and keep people who are not necessarily tracking the deeper message engaged and obviously along with the engagement it creates moments of relief from the dramatic tension so you have a lot of buildup and then you get knocked back uh the the tension gets knocked back down by just like the absolute goofiness so like i remember like in one scene where after evelyn punches deirdre deirdre's because deirdre just was first jumped into by alpha deirdre who is a follower of joe butapaki so like she's quote-unquote villain but alpha deirdre like stapled a post-it note to her head um so then when normal deirdre comes back she's just like did you just staple something to my forehead and it's just super goofy and yeah it, it, it's it is funny like the movie has its comedic beats it's it's a great great piece of art so that is the absurdism and then in terms of nihilism so nihilism is basically just like sort of resigning yourself to like nothing matters there's no meaning in the universe there's no purpose in life and you know that can either be put into a positive spin of like nothing matters so i can do whatever the fuck i want or the other option which is much more pessimistic and cynical which is like nothing matters so whatever i do doesn't matter there's no lasting impact blah 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 right so that is it's really the other main focus of the movie is the nihilism and like and really focusing in on sure there may be a multiverse and there may be like maybe nothing that we do really matters but it, and the, this comes down to the central point of the whole film which is even if nothing matters and even if everything that we're doing like nothing matters and there's no further impact like it's still worth it to know people 
and and get to learn about people and experience them and really see them for who they are and and really love and cherish your time together and so i think that was that's really the overall sort of message of the movie is regardless of everything happening i am actively choosing to spend this time connecting with you and getting to know you better and that is really given as the sort of antidote to generational trauma all the movies that i mentioned earlier with Turning Red and Encanto, those movies are addressing generational trauma, whereas this movie, you know, there is generational trauma, but it also says, like, the the solution to that is generational love. And so the way that Evelyn ultimately defeats, quote-unquote, Jobu Topaki, is she meets her halfway and she says, you know, I love you, I'm sorry that this has happened, and I want to know you. I want to know everything about you and I want to understand you and I want to love every part of you even the parts that I may not understand and obviously you know a big part of this is Joy's queer identity which for a lot of immigrant parents is maybe something that they're not really well versed in or like they know about like I know my my mom doesn't know a lot about being queer because she's not (laughs) and yeah so like that that is the sort of antidote to the generational trauma is like hey like i realize that i may have fucked you up but like let's meet each other halfway let's get to know each other and understand each other see where we're all coming from and and maybe extend some love and maybe that'll help us help us get through and and really understand each other so that is gonna wrap it up for the main topic thank you so much everybody for hanging in there for this sort of more serious more bulky episode so i'm going to take a break and then we'll be right back with the end of the show all right back from the break you know usual tagline drink water it's good to be wet to live so with that we'll launch into this week's nonsense for me today has been really hard this Today, there were three mass shootings in the United States. Pretty much, they happened all at the same time, and it's really tough. So, I know that there's always the sort of inclination to to stay up to date with the news and understand what's going on in the current headlines, and that means a lot of scrolling through media, and that we have to realize that taking on that level of tragedy and the scale and the like the numbers and everything we're not meant to handle that like that's a lot of trauma more or less to handle and i know like i was talking to a friend earlier i was talking to vesper earlier about this about the shootings and i almost started crying because like i and that doesn't that hasn't happened before just because like i felt so i guess removed like it was like okay yes it's absolutely sad and terrible that these shootings have happened but they for whatever reason before they felt so removed and now that you know it's probably a lot of stuff that's built up over the pandemic and everything but a lot of these shootings and and the violence that has been happening has been hitting close to home a lot so I did I did haven't really interacted with the news too much I don't know the details about any of these shootings that happened today, or I guess technically yesterday on June 1st, but I am really trying to take space to protect 
myself and give myself breathing room so that means not interacting with the news and if i do want to go on social media for example like if i want to go on twitter i'm only going to pay attention to what my friends are posting and if they're retweeting new stuff i just scroll past that so if you're feeling crummy on social media please take a break nothing is going to change and or like you keeping up with the latest headlines is not going to help you necessarily do anything about it especially if you're burnt out especially if you're feeling like really rattled by stuff like please take a break there are folks who are on the front lines trying to help and everything if you feel the need to do something like actively search out an organization that is doing the work see how you can help through them but yes there's no absolutely no shame in taking breaks because as i said we're not really meant to handle this level of tragedy Hopefully there are things that will happen in the future in the United States that will allow for gun control because literally every other country on the face of the planet has done it and it's really just us being dummies with weapons of mass destruction and yeah so that's my nonsense for the week is really just continue to be mindful of, of your space and what is in your space and take breaks from the news if you need to. So thanks again for tagging along for another episode. As you may know, this is a completely independent operation, and I use Patreon to help offset the costs of hosting the podcast, or or recording the podcast, as well as uh, hosting it on the websites that I use. So that's Patreon, and I also have a hosting fee on Noise Trade. Uh, not noise trade, sorry, that's another website on SoundCloud. And then I also use a transcription service, and so that costs money as well. So Patreon is what I use to help offset the costs. There are three different tiers that I have. There's tier one, which pretty much any level of donation will get you a shout out. Tier two gets you early access to the pod, so basically a day before everybody else gets to listen. And then tier three gets you the ability to suggest topic ideas, so previous topic ideas have included the world of Avatar The Last Airbender, as well as the genre of boys love, or BL. And I've talked a little bit on, uh, there are several episodes that I have out on boys love. I only have one episode out on Avatar right now. I'm still working on trying to meet up with a friend to record the Avatar episode on Korra and her thoughts and stuff. So that is Patreon. You can find the show on Patreon at nonsense if you search nonsense and noise pod the profile picture is of me drinking glass wine and so that's patreon you can if you like what you heard from me you want to get more from me you can find me on instagram twitter and twitch all at the same handle at kato not kato that is k-a-h-t-o-n-o-t-k-a-y-t-o i'm very very active on twitter not so much on instagram and on twitch um, i haven't streamed in probably about a month but i'm going to be trying to get back into that streaming probably triangle strategy because i'm still working on that Shin Megami Tensei I would love to stream more of, but I don't think that's really a game that's conducive to streaming because just it's just so grindy. I might stream Ace Attorney because I have that as well as Pikmin 3. Maybe I'll do that. Or, you know, you can catch me playing some Valorant too. So that's where you can find me. Thank you all for listening and hope to see you again soon. Bye!